So Paul, come on up. Many of you may know Paul. Uh, been involved in our fellowship for many, many years. He's going to read for us our passage this morning. We're in Second or First Corinthians chapter two, and he's starting in verse six. So go ahead, Paul. First Corinthians two, verses six through sixteen. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the, among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment, judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Paul. He did an awesome job, didn't he? <clears throat> well done. Um, you know, what is this passage all about? I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to understand or grasp the concept that somebody is reading something. And so let's just spend a few minutes and let's uh, tear this passage apart because what Paul is saying here is way too important for us to miss it. We've been talking in here for the last month or so about some really heavy things. We've been asking you over the last month to consider some pretty heavy questions. Questions like, would, do you honestly or would you honestly look at yourself? And when you see yourself, will you honestly see what you see? We talked about what do you really hunger for? Can you be honest enough with yourself to find out what it is that your heart deepest, most deeply desires. We've been talking about things like what possesses you. We all have a lot of stuff, but what stuff has you? We even talked about suffering and how you endure it. And you know, the truth of it is, is that if you get down to getting to know somebody really well, uh, and you're really honest with them, it's not long before you start talking about how hard life is. I mean, life is hard. And Here's something that you're going to find out too if we're honestly answering the questions is that we're really lousy at it. I mean, seriously. I don't know about you, but I often feel like I'm really lousy at doing life because I can always do my job better. I always feel like there's room for me to grow in my relationships that I could always do those better. I could manage money well or better 
you know, that I find myself lousy at managing the things that I've been given to manage in my life. Everything from the stuff that I have to my ideas and my heart to even my own sexuality. We all struggle with these things. And we find ourselves uh, often failing to achieve the standards that we hope that we can set for ourselves. And that's just the outside stuff. What about the inside stuff? The stuff that we work really hard in the South to keep hidden when we come to places like church. Because we all look so good and together, don't we? It's just so cool to stand up here and look at all of you. Because to stand here, I would think that none of you have any worries today. That none of you have any fears. That none of you have any doubts. That everybody's sitting in a church so you all believe in God and Jesus. You know, that you came here on the wing of an angel. And all your kids get up in the morning and say, good morning, mother, father, let me make breakfast for you. But none of us have discontentment. None of us are dissatisfied. None of us are sitting here in a marriage that you don't think really works. None of you are sitting here because none of you have any kind of resentment toward your parents or toward your kids. None of you have anything with anybody else in this room because everybody in this room is in peace and harmony. We all get along. We all speak the same language. We all do nothing but just love. Wow. You know, the reality of it is, is if we kept peeling back the layers. Now, okay, hang with me. There is an ache inside of my soul. There is is a hunger and an ache inside of my soul that I've not found anything on this earth that will satisfy Matter of fact, there are times that I'm afraid to pull back the covers and look at that ache because that ache can become so profoundly strong. And it's no small thing. And that hunger or that ache or that desire for more or that wish that life would get better or that hope that things are going to work out or maybe I'm not going to be so lousy at life or lousy at the things in my life that that hunger to just to take another step that maybe will get me to a better place to where this year was better than last year or today was better than yesterday or I promise I'm never going to make that mistake again and I haven't made that mistake yet today so today is okay can sometimes overwhelm us. I, I want to read for you uh, to try to talk a little bit about that ache, that inability we have to make life work. This is from uh, C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory. And he talks about the ache as a hunger for beauty. And he, he describes it in such a way that it's almost like we were made for a beauty that we, we get close to but we never see. Like we were made for something that we just can't get our hands around just yet. Listen to how he puts it. The books are the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memories of our past are good images of what we really desire But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the things itself. They are only the scent of the flowers we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. And he's talking about that intrinsically we know inside of us that there's something to meet us in our ache. 
that there's something to help us in our journey of how do I make this life work. I'll read you one more uh, guy who talks about this ache. This is Richard Holloway, and actually he was the Bishop of Edinburgh in 1978. And this is what he said. This is my dilemma, he said. I am dust and ashes, frail and wayward, a set of predetermined behavioral responses. I'm riddled with fears, beset with needs, the quintessence of dust, and unto dust I shall return. But there is something else in me. Dust I may be, but troubled dust, dust that dreams, dust that has strange premonitions of transfiguration, of a glory in store, a destiny prepared, an inheritance that will one day be my own. So my life is stretched out in a painful dialectic between ashes and glory between weakness and transfiguration. I am a riddle to myself, an an exasperating enigma, the strange duality of dust and glory. You hear that ache there? That we come to grips with the fact that maybe we're not all that we thought we could be, but then we long for that which we can be. And it's only natural if we're brave enough to say that I see that, my inconsistencies, of what I am and what I hope to be. And we start looking, and what do we look for? Well, we start looking for answers. We start looking for someone who can give me that bit of wisdom or that bit of information that's gonna help me take that step from dust to glory. Oh, now that I know, I can fix it. Or we're looking for someone who can come in and lead us out of that. Where's the leader? Where's the preacher? Where's the teacher? Where's that dynamic person that's going to come in in that seminar and is going to teach me how to forever leave behind the dust and forever live in the glory? It's going to take me out of the vague place of scenting beauty and actually step in and be consumed by it. Or where's the program? Or here's a good one. Where's the church? Where's the church that can actually pull off that hat trick for me? So we come to Corinthians. Because Paul knew the nature of man, he knew the nature of us, he knew the nature of them, they were making some critical mistakes. And their critical mistakes were they actually believed there was an answer to the question that would change it. They actually believed that there was a man somewhere that was strong enough of a leader to lead them out of that. And Paul said, don't be deceived. Matter of fact, look in chapter 1, in verse 18. The first thing Paul says to these people is the message that he was bringing to them The message of the cross is foolishness. He said, the message I'm going to bring to you is weak. I mean, it is weak. It's so weak that you're going to consider it when you hear it foolishness, nonsense, ridiculous. Then look over in chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. Not only is the message weak, but the guy that God was sending to come and bring you that message was actually weaker than the message. That he was full of fear and trembling and terrified. And then look back in chapter 1, verse 26. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So the message was weak. It was foolish. The messenger God sent 
was weaker than the message. He was even more foolish. And the, the people that the message came to were the greatest fools of them all. They were the weakest a part of a whole equation. So what's going on here? Weak, weaker, weakest. And this sets up chapter two because now we're starting to get into it. Because now Paul, you know, in chapter one, he was lighting the fuse and now he's throwing the stick of dynamite because here comes the power. How can anything step into our ache for life that is weak and being sent by someone that's weaker to a group of people that are weakest yet? Where's the strength and the power in that? And chapter two tells us in the Holy Spirit. See, when Christ died on the cross, when he forever made the payment for the penalty of sins, forever taking away the wrath of God for those that would trust in him, and then when he rose again to newness of life so that those who follow him too also may have newness of life, redemption was born. There was a salvation and a renewal and a transfiguration that was available to all mankind that wasn't based on anything we did anymore. It wasn't based on any of our achievements, any of our failures. It was completely based on what Christ did on the cross, his work and his work alone. And the Holy Spirit came and crashed into our dust and into the damage and hunger of our world and began to do some stuff. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a few minutes and we're gonna look through chapter two and see what did the Holy Spirit do? What is the Holy Spirit doing? And then we're gonna do it. All right, you with me on that? So the first thing the Holy Spirit did, look at verse nine. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived. That covers all the bases, doesn't it? You ain't gonna figure it out. Nobody's seen it, nobody's heard it, nobody's conceived it, what God has prepared for those who love him. Okay, it's all a mystery, it's a riddle. Nobody will ever know. So let me close this in prayer and let's all go home and go, you'll never know. You'll never know. I'll never know. We just don't know. So let's just go home and let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Bye-bye, American pie. You know, I don't know what that has to do, but that was a song from the 70s and that rocks. Later you'll go, oh, I see how it applied, but you gotta go listen to the song first. Verse 10, but God has revealed. I wanna stop there. Because that statement right there alone should rock our world. That we serve a God who desires and loves and works to bring revelation. God has revealed. And why is he revealed? Because our ears, our eyes, and our minds are not strong enough or powerful enough to discover what it is that only God knows that we need in our dust and glory. And what has he revealed? Well, first let's finish the verse. He's revealed it to us by his spirit. So the very first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he brings revelation. This is huge. That is one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit is to bring you revelation. And what is revelation? Revelation is revealing. I know that's the original Greek into English. When Paul wrote this, he was thinking about uh, that guy, Ty Pennington, you know, and uh, <laughs> go with me, all right? You know, where they have the big, what's it called? It's like home makeover. 
You know, and they go in and they find some family that everybody in the family's lost a leg or something, you know, and nobody can walk and, you know, they all speak different languages. I don't know, you know, and they're all going to die in a week. All right. And, uh, and so they come into their home and they completely make it over. And what do they do when they make it over? They try to do something in that person's home that are beyond the imagination of the people that live there. They try to do something that the people in that home could have never even conceived in their wildest dreams that this is what this place could look like. And then they have the big reveal, right, where they have the bus out in front of the house, and then the crowd starts chanting, you know, why not our house? Why not our house? (laughs) Us next, us next. I just want a new toilet in my bathroom. I don't need a whole new wing, you know? And then they say, move the bus, move the bus, because what do they want the bus driver to do? They want you to get out of the way so there can be revelation of what we could not imagine, all right? And the Holy Spirit is bringing revelation, but hang on, because the first thing the Holy Spirit brings revelation to is not the glory of God, but the lack of glory in you. Yeah. Have you ever thought about this, that when you look at yourself on the inside and you go, I don't like what I see, that that's the work of the Holy Spirit? Is that possible? That the Holy Spirit is bringing about within me an awareness for something outside of me to rescue me. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you want to go back and listen to one of our uh, old sermons on repentance, you'll find out that repentance is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. So he brings us an awareness of ourself. And then he brings an awareness of him. It's like the abracadabra, you know, he's removing the cloak so that you can see what is on the table. Behold the glory, not of who you are. You're in need of glory, but hold the glory of what Christ has done on the cross. Behold the glory of what he's done through his resurrection. Behold the glory of what he's doing in our lives right now. So he brings us a revelation of ourself. Then he brings us a revelation of who Christ is. He is shining a bright light on Jesus, and then he does this beautiful thing. When Jesus begins to work on us, then the Holy Spirit brings the spotlight back to us again and says, now look. And we get to see who we are in Christ, and we resist it. It's hard. I mean, it's dramatic, isn't it? It's it's like, you know, when the Holy Spirit wants to come in and say, hey, let me remove your dust and let me give you glory. It's like when your little kid has a splinter and you get closer and closer, and they do that. Don't they? No, because they're anticipating the pain that's going to be involved in removing the splinter. That's why in John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No one comes to the Father unless the Lord draws him. Now, what's, what's dynamic about that verse is that that word draw, that's a weak translation of the Greek word that actually means dragged. That the Holy Spirit comes in his love and he seduces us. And then he grabs us and he drags us into the light of God's glory. Wow, that's kind of a violent version of Revelation, isn't it? It's beautiful. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is in verse 12. Look here. It says, if I can find it, I'm drawing out. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God. That, okay, wait. There's the revelation. We've not received the spirit of the world. We have received the Spirit of God because he's a revealing God that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. 
The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is brings me understanding of the revelation that he's just brought me. Okay, I just want you to imagine for me uh, Back to the Future, the movie, all right? And the flux capacitor. Are you with me? Some of you are like, please, just close in prayer. But, you know, think about it. When, when, you, when you see the flux capacitor, your first question is, well, okay, I see the revelation of it, but what is it? What does it do? What does it do for me? Why is it important for me to be looking at this? Why is it important for me to know what that is? But when we begin to understand that the flux capacitor actually allows me to travel back in time, then, whoa, and get like old copies of, you know, racing forms and then make a lot of money. See, what's funny about that is that we, in our old nature, we, we want to come to the revelation and we want to handle it the way that we handle everything else. And God is saying, no, you can't, you can't do that. When, when I see something that's rev- revelatory or something that's grand, I start thinking, how can I use that for my own benefit? I turn it into an it, like a flux capacitor. How can I use it to make my life better? How can I use it to get me out of my dust and bring me into glory? How can I use it to help me experience the beauty that I so hunger for, devour, and be consumed by? How do I use it? And what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us by understanding is that this revelation is not an it. This revelation is not just a truth. This revelation is a person. And that should scare you a little bit. But it should excite you because he's bringing a revelation of Jesus Christ, not so you can know what he did, but so you can know him, so that we can come into relationship with him. It's crazy. I don't think there's anybody in this, in this room that if you were interest, interested in somebody that you would date their roommate so that you could get to know them better. I just really want more time with you so that I can get to know who your roommate is really like, you know? No, we, we date the person that we're interested in so that we can get to know them. And the third thing the Holy Spirit does is he brings discernment of the understanding that he's given me. Look at verse 13, or 14 again. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that, God comes, that comes from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? What's he talking about there? Because this really is crazy, the idea that only a spirit of a man knows what's going on inside of him. Well, of course. You know yourself, and you know what you're thinking, we were with our staff this week, and I was saying, do you think it would make you uh, excited or uncomfortable if you were sitting with someone that could look into your mind and see all your thoughts? And uh, everybody on staff said, I think I'd leave the room. You know, because you know you, right? 
And this passage is saying that this isn't just any spirit, but this is the spirit of God. This is the spirit that knows God. This is the internal spirit of God that's coming to us to bring revelation, understanding to us about our Father. But he's also bringing discernment, that we would have the mind of Christ. See, I don't just see him through revelation. I don't just understand him through understanding. I have fellowship with him. The discernment to be loved, the discernment to be drunk in that love, the discernment to follow. See, this is a crazy idea, and it's hard to illustrate this whole idea of Christ in us, the hope of glory. If you've ever seen a movie where the pilot gets taken out by like a seagull coming through the windshield, you know, and then somebody who can't fly jumps up in the seat and gets on the big headphone, almost as big as this one, and says to the tower, okay, I don't know how to fly. And they're saying, don't worry, we're going to talk you in. Just do whatever we say. You seen that, you know? Okay, now turn on the flux capacitor, you know? What? What's that? What does it do? No, okay, that's confusing. Uh, And so they talk them through every little step, you know? Okay, now pull back on the throttle, you know? All that, flip that switch. That's not what we're talking about here at all. Jesus, in, his, in giving us discernment, is not him calling orders into us. Okay, now take a right. Now take a left. Now say this. There's a profound mystery here. Because discernment means that it's not Christ calling in orders. It's Christ living through us. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives through me. So I don't live a, with a bracelet around my arm with WWJD on it. What would Jesus do? I have a bracelet that says WWJD. What is Jesus doing? No, okay. Figure that out later. (laughs) What is he doing? (laughs) Some of you are going to hold that against me for a while. (laughs) Do you see how unnerving that is? That there's a revelation, and in that revelation comes understanding, but in that understanding comes discernment now, that Jesus steps into my journey. And now Christ in me, the hope of glory, is working through me that which is well-pleasing in his sight. It is profound because he's with me. He's in me. And boy, does he keep pressing himself into my reality. Have you ever had somebody in your life that... uh, that you're getting to know, uh, but you really haven't taken that step yet of really always letting them in on the inside of what's going on inside of you. And so you're sitting at coffee one day and they look across to you and they go, how you doing? And you're like, you know, and you give them the answer that you give everybody that's full of self-protection and walls that keep you from ever getting any closer to somebody, especially in a coffee shop that would cause you to cry. And then they lean in a little closer and they look at you straight in the eyes and they hold your gaze and they go, no, I'm serious. How are you doing? And you go, oh. Because you know that they're knocking on the door. And what are they knocking on? They're saying, let me behind that door. How are you really doing? Don't give me none of this little stuff that you gave the person that served you coffee. I'm earning the right to sit at the table with you and I'm looking at you and I'm asking you, how are you really doing? And I'm not going to turn my gaze away until you either tell me to go away or you let me in. Oh, okay, maybe they don't say all that. But you know what I mean. 
And you feel yourself stirring because there's a part of you that longs to let somebody in and know, oh, thank God somebody finally asked. And bleh, and you just confess everything that's going on with you. But you're holding back because there's a fear in you that I can't tell somebody that stuff. There's nobody in this world that will sit at this table long enough to hear all the stuff that's going on inside of me. Nobody really wants to know how I'm really doing. Nobody could possibly love me enough to sit here long enough for me to empty the tanks that would answer the question that you're asking me. Right? So I'm torn between I want it, but there's no way that it's possible. And Jesus is stepping into that place and he's saying, how are you doing? Discernment gives me the courage to believe, yes, he's here. Yes, he's asking the question, and it's true that he wants to yoke himself with me. In Matthew 11, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the Holy Spirit is not only bringing me revelation, he's not only bringing me understanding, but he's bringing me the discernment to lean into the arms of the one who loves my soul and let myself be loved and then let Christ live through me. That's just so beautiful, isn't it? Well, this is great, so why do we not experience it? I mean, seriously, we just said those, those things are true. Why does it seem that that doesn't seem to often be our experience? I mean, if the Holy Spirit is in us, and it says in several passages in Scripture that he's working for our joy, why do we often feel so joyless? If the Holy Spirit is in us, and Scripture says in many places that the Holy Spirit, where he is, he brings power, we often feel so powerless. Why is it that if the Holy Spirit is in us, and he's revealing all the free gifts that come from the Father, none of us seem to be in the business of opening presents. Why do we continue to live our lives as if we're a bunch of orphans that are living in poverty, as if we don't have the riches of the kingdom of heaven at our disposal? If that's what the Holy Spirit is doing, why do I seem to be so obtuse to the reality of God's gifts to me if the Holy Spirit is so busy bringing revelations to them? Really, seriously. If the Holy Spirit is teaching us and giving us discernment, why does it seem that our lives are more marked by fear and confusion and self-protection than leaning in in the coffee shops in the arms of the one who loves my soul and knows his tender caress? Why is that? What's going on here? Do you know that even in the Bible, when the disciples were challenging Jesus about him dying and going to heaven, Jesus actually said these words to the disciples, it is better for me to go to heaven so that the Holy Spirit can come. It is better for you that the Holy Spirit would come. Can you imagine that? Jesus himself is saying it's better for you, Midtown, than having a physical Jesus right here that you would have the Holy Spirit. So what's going on? Is it possible to be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit? Is it possible that we have a room full of people that don't have the Holy Spirit? Well, Romans 8, verse 9, says that's impossible. It simply says, if you don't have the Spirit, then you don't belong to Christ. In other words, if you belong to Christ, you got the Spirit. They're a package deal. You can't have one and not have the other. They come together. So if we are Christians here, if the cross has purchased not just salvation for me, but relationship now with the Holy Spirit, 
if the resurrection now that brought Christ to newness of life so that we too may live a new life, that we're living in that new life now, that believers have the Spirit, what's going on? So I want to just say a couple things. Uh, hopefully to help us kind of navigate this. I think one of the problems that we have as believers is that we fail to acknowledge that there is really a Holy Spirit. We really do. We fail to acknowledge that there's a Holy Spirit in this world. You know, Jesus uh, said, if you being evil know how to give good things to your kids, how much more if you ask the Father, he would not give you good things. But he didn't say good things. He said the Holy Spirit. The Father, our Father, is eager to give us the Holy Spirit. But I honestly believe we just don't believe that. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit is active and working in our lives, that he's even present, you know? It's like going to a party with somebody you date and just ignoring them the whole night. Never looking at them, never seeing them, just pretending like they didn't even come to the party with you, you know? Because what we try to do is we try to believe that maybe we have to become our own saviors. That Jesus died on the cross, that's great. He brought revelation, he brought understanding, and he brought discernment so that he can kind of shuffle me out the door and go, good luck. I hope you make it out there. Call us if you need us. College will be great, you know? No, no, you know? And so we go out with all this stuff and we think that God's in heaven like a good daddy going, I hope you make me proud, you know? You can do it. We know you can. Oh, don't mess up. And so we live our lives without any kind of reality whatsoever. And it's funny, and we say this often, it's like a woman who's pregnant that doesn't know that she's pregnant. I think there's actually a TV show with that stuff now, you know? I didn't know I was pregnant, all right? And so what happens when you're pregnant and you don't know you're pregnant and you go into labor? You go, good Lord, I think I'm dying. You know, your body is actually getting ready to birth life, but you think it's about to birth death. And see, you think how strange it is if you are a Christian here today, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And guess what he's doing in your life? He's working in your life. And what is he doing in his life? He is birthing stuff in your life. And if you don't know that you're pregnant with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is stirring to try to birth something in your life, guess what? You're going to despise it, you're going to hate it, and you're going to fight against it because you don't know that your body is giving birth to something. Just like if you were pregnant and didn't know it, and you go into the labor, you might take a handful of Advil. You might even drink a lot. Anything to make the pain go away because that pain's excruciating, you know? Finally, you go to the hospital because you say, something is wrong with me. And the doctor comes in and says, guess what? You are stupid. <laughs> There's not something wrong with you. There's something right with you. Now push, right? And when we don't believe that there's a Holy Spirit, if we don't believe what I just said, honestly, I'm talking about right in your life. I'm not talking about like the church going, let's be sweet, it's church, we don't cuss here, all right? That, I'm talking about when you walk out those doors, if you walk out and you get in your car and you believe the Holy Spirit is nowhere near me, he's not in me, he's not working around me, that my circumstances are nothing to do with God. Guess what? You will find yourself working against the very work of God in your life. I swear it. You're going to see every misstep that pushes you back to dust as evidence that God is nowhere to be found. See, there's evidence. My relationship is hard. God's not here. I didn't get that raise. God's not here. I feel horrible today. God's not here. 
my emotions are just taking control of my life. God's not here. And so we keep going back to where can I find the answer? Where can I find the leader? Where can I find the program? Something to make me feel better. Because we don't know that we're pregnant. We should be pushing. But instead, we're pushing Novocaine. We're trying to deaden the pain when God is saying, I'm trying to awaken you to the pain because I'm birthing something out of your life through the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't believe. Scripture says that we're to keep in step with the Spirit. It's a picture of a dance. We are to dance with the Spirit. Keep in step. But we turn Christianity into the death march. Just one more step. Got to go to church. Just one more step. Got to read the Bible. I really should. I ought to. I feel horrible. This relationship with God stinks. I feel more guilty than I ever did before I was not a Christian. It becomes this miserable journey because we don't see that the Holy Spirit is working in us. Well, I could give you a thousand stories there, but I'm going to bypass all of them because uh, we're about to practice this. Because the second thing, it's not that we just don't believe that. We fail to use the gift of repentance to step into it. And now, let me try to explain to you what I mean. This is uh, from St. Augustine. St. Augustine once said that God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. If our hands are full... They're full of the things to which we are addicted. And not only our hands, but also our hearts, minds, and attentions are clogged with addictions. Our addictions fill up the spaces within us, spaces where grace might flow. It is most important to remember, however, that it's not the objects of our addictions that are to blame for filling up our hands and hearts. It's our clinging to these objects, grasping for them, becoming obsessed with them. In other words, or in the words of John of the Cross, it's not the things of this world that either occupy the soul or cause it harm, since they enter it not, but rather the will and the desire for them. This will and desire, this clinging and grasping, are like addictions. What he's saying is, is that we have filled our hands with so much stuff We've filled our lives with so much that we think are going to satisfy. So many things that we've attached our hope to, our happiness to, our joy to. The things that we hope that they're going to come through and give us everything that will remove us from dust into glory. Our hands are so full of them, we've got no room for the Holy Spirit. What does repentance do? I wouldn't be so naive to think that we can empty our hands this morning of all the stuff that has you. But we may can loosen our grip a little bit and repent. Lord, I really do love comfort more than I love you. I love painlessness more than I love you. I love alcohol more than I love you. And on and on. I love relationships more than I love you. I love my fear more than I love you. Maybe we can loosen our grip just a little bit. And when we do, that's when grace flows in. That's when the revelation, the understanding, and the discernment come rushing in. And we smell that, and we taste that. And we go, oh, wait, where's that from? I know that taste. And here's what's beautiful, is when we let grace start to come in, even the things that I'm addicted to now become the agents that bring me into grace. They get flipped the place that I'm in most need is the place where I get pushed into God's grace. 
So one is I just acknowledge the Holy Spirit is here. I believe. Two, I repent that my hands are so full. And then finally, three, we become gluttons. Let me just read for you Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is the fruit of the Spirit, meaning when the Spirit goes, the fruit goes. It's not the fruit of us that are in the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit, all right? This is his thumbprint, not ours. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. What does he mean by that? That means you can have as much of that stuff as you want. There's no law against it. There's no limits. There's no boundaries. There's no boundaries to joy. You can't say, that's enough joy now. Move on to discontentment. No, there's no boundaries to it. You can get as much as you want. Come and get it. And the Holy Spirit has this stuff in limitless proportions. The third thing is that we need to be gluttons. We need to be hungry for the right thing. We need to come to the buffet of the Holy Spirit and begin to gorge ourselves on the things of the Spirit. You know, and it's funny. When, uh, when I was in high school, I had a dog. His name was Duke. He was a mutt. And one of the gifts that Duke had was the ability to shed year-round. And he, he had blonde hair. And it's funny because you can tell anybody that's been in our house and pet Duke because they would be covered in hair, just literally. And if you had dark clothes on, guess what? The fruit of, ducks, of Duke's presence in your life would be all over you. What does it mean to be glutton? It means to come in expectancy, come in acknowledgement, come in repentance. And when we do that and we're rubbing, the fruit of the Holy Spirit's gonna get all over us. It's all over us. And what's crazy about that is grace makes us hungry for more grace. All right. So we come because the Holy Spirit beckons us to come because he brings revelation, he brings understanding, he brings discernment, Christ is in us, and he invites us to indulge ourselves in those things by believing, not just believing, but also come in repentance and come in feast. Let's do that, family. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this time of worship and just pause and consider you, as we come, Father, now believing as we put down, Lord, our walls of self-protection, Lord, our cynicism and those things that make us so civil. And we come, Father, with the, the aches of our own hearts, the struggles, Lord, of our need for you. Lord, would you give us grace now to dare to lean in and believe that you're here. And you're here because you want to be here. You're here because you desire to be here. You're here because you love us and you call us sons and daughters. We pray, Father, that you give us the grace to be repentant. Those things that we love more than we love you. Those things that have deceived us into thinking they can be a better God than you are. those things that have lured us away from your promises. And Lord, let us feast. Let us feast on the reality that you're here and you bring good things where you are. Let us become gluttons on your grace, on the gifts of the Spirit, on the fruit of the Spirit. 
Lead us now, we pray. In Christ's name.